Keep God's word on your lips Meditate on it day and night Be careful to do what it says Then you will truly be successful Keep God's word on your lips Meditate on it day and night Be careful to do what it says Then you will truly be successful Hey everybody, it's day 89 of our 90 day challenge And the topic is Every time we worship for heaven. Be careful to do what it says, then you will truly be successful. All right, here we are. Revelation. Revelation is the seventh chapter. The first verse reads this way. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000, the great multitude in white robes. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worship God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And that ends our reading for today. The topic again is this. Every time we worship, we rehearse for heaven. Everybody has their go-to self-care activity. For me, it is soaking in a bathtub. In my experience, there is nothing more relaxing than a perfectly warmed bubble bath. My mother raised us on bubble baths as a kid, and it wasn't until my freshman year in college that I learned what it was like to actually take a shower. It's so funny how your childhood affects your adulthood, because even as I write to you now, I love, love, love to take a warm bubble bath. For me, it is that one moment in the day where I can close my eyes, turn off the lights and just listen to the daily audio Bible. 
It's a moment to unwind, pray, and best of all, not think. In my home, bath time is a daily ritual. It is the moment where I hit the pause button, and when it's right, it is just right. But when it's wrong, it really annoys me. So the other day, I ran my bath water and walked away to do something else. When I got back, I prepared to get in. But as soon as I touched the water, disappointment slapped me in the face. The water was too cold. So I clicked the lever, emptied the tub, and filled it again. I walked away to answer the phone and came back, anticipating yet again my therapeutic bathing experience. To my utter satisfaction, or to my utter dissatisfaction, <laughs> I stepped in with one foot and thought I would fry to death. The water was so hot I couldn't move. I couldn't think. I couldn't breathe. Like a hot potato, I jumped out and jumped up and just looked at the tub as if it had done something wrong to me. I told myself to just deal with it, but settling for water that is too hot doesn't fix the problem. If anything, it makes it worse. Our worship lesson today is about heaven. The vision we read reminds us that a day is coming when we will cease to labor on earth. We will be transformed and depart from labor and enter into perpetual reward. A day is coming when it will all be worth it. We will see Jesus face to face and we will join the elders at the throne of God to worship our God. I look so forward to that day. I look forward to seeing Jesus. And if you ask me, worship on earth is rehearsal for heaven. So if you don't enjoy worshiping here, you will find heaven to be quite boring when you get there. <laughs> this is the reason I selected this text so we could focus on heaven and look forward to that great getting up morning. But as I continued to read the book of Revelation, I realized the need to address something that has often been misquoted. I personally have made this mistake of importing my own theological assumptions onto this text before, so I want to make sure you do not repeat this horrible pattern. Having said that, one of the most misinterpreted scriptures in all of scripture is in Revelation 3, 15 through 16, where the writer says, I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. The typical takeaway after reading Revelation 3.15 goes something like this. Jesus wants you to be for him or against him, but not sitting on the fence. In other words, you need to make a decision about where your loyalties lie. In so doing, we assume that hot and cold are metaphors for a passionate commitment to or against Jesus. But when we read scripture, we must always ask, does my interpretation of said scripture impose my own cultural beliefs, assumptions and interpretations onto this text? Or am I reading it the way it was intended, given the audience for whom it was originally written? In other words, to understand Revelations 3, 15 through 16, we have to understand John's audience. The same is true for any Bible passage. So here is the T. Y'all ready? John recorded his visions in the book of Revelation as a message for seven communities in the Roman province of Asia. Chapters two and three are written to remind all seven ancient communities to obey Jesus, not Rome. Laodicea sits on hills. 
it is south of the Lycus River Valley and the city of Heropolis is on the north side. The city had all the trappings of a hot spot in the Roman period. It had giant bathhouses, a stadium, and a theater. In short, Laodicea was wealthy. The message from Jesus in Revelation 3 then directly challenges Laodicea's reliance on its own wealth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is saying, my friends, that every great thing in Laodicea is worthless since we value worldly wealth rather than obeying the words of Jesus. Jesus made a similar connection to life in Laodicea when he talks about hot, cold and lukewarm people. The large population and extensive textile industry in Laodicea required an ample water supply. The three major cities around the valley, Laodicea, Colossae, and Heropolis, all had distinct water sources. All three cities lie around the Lycus River Valley, but their water supplies distinguished them. Heropolis had hot water, which was beneficial for therapeutic purposes. Colossae had cold water, which was good for a refreshing drink. But Laodicea's water was best suited for flushing the city's plumbing system. So if you ingested the water, it would cause you to vomit. Do you see how this context reveals the meaning of Jesus's message to Laodicea? Jesus used their water supply as a spiritual metaphor. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Y'all get it? Colossae's cold mountain water and Heropolis's medicinal hot water surpassed Laodicea's lukewarm water, which made people vomit after drinking. Cold water and hot water sources had great personal value. Laodicea's lukewarm water had the same personal value that complacent members of the Laodicean church had to the cause of Christ. Not much. So in summary, as I finish my mini book report on this popular verse in Revelation, let me say this. Revelations 3, 15 through 16 does not teach that Jesus prefers people to hate him or love him. Just don't sit on the fence. Jesus doesn't want anybody to hate him. Jesus isn't saying any decision is better than indecision. No, Jesus is telling us to serve a purpose. Hot water heals. Cold water refreshes. We should bring a similar blessing to people around us. But when we only live to ourselves, like the lukewarm water that supported the wealth of the Laodicean textile industry, we are useless. As I thought about this metaphor in light of the bath water, I almost burned myself in the other day. I reimagined the power of metaphor once again. Truthfully, I have settled for things in my life that were burning hot or frigid cold. I have told myself I don't deserve anything more than what I have been given. So I simply talk myself into accepting whatever somebody pours into the tub of my heart. Not good. The other thing I realized about this bath water is that it would have been perfect and ready for my enjoyment if I was more focused on balancing out the hot and the cold. After I turned on the water, I would just walk away and leave it up to the water to balance itself out. And that's what many of us do with our children. We raise them up and then at some point we just walk away. 
Or maybe you do that with your spouse. You expect him or her to just get it. So instead of checking in on a regular basis, you walk away and assume that everything will be just fine when you get home. No employer should become so distanced from his business that he leaves important projects in the hands of people who don't know the cost of the oil in his or her alabaster box. The father never walked away from us. Even when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he continued to check on the water to make sure it was cold. When God asks, where are you? Many say God wanted Adam to know something about the status of their relationship. Of course, God knew where Adam and Eve were physically, but relationally, things had changed. Above that, I believe God was not satisfied with leaving Adam and Eve in the disaster of their mistake. When God initiated the question, God was checking the water. In the same way, you may need to check some water in your home today. Don't rush to tongues. Speak in English. Don't rush to heaven. Handle it on earth. Don't just give instructions and walk away. Check in. Ask friends, where are you? Not just physically, but spiritually. Ask yourself, where am I? And try not to run away from the question by dismissing it as futile. Assess where you are so that when you step into the waters of life, you can enjoy it instead of simply tolerating it. All of this will help us to rehearse for heaven. Our truth makes us free. Our lies keep us bound. So tell the truth. And each time you do, be reminded that you are one step to experiencing heaven on earth. So your worship work today is to find beautiful opportunities to continue to worship God on earth as you prepare for heaven. And when we get there, we will join the angelic hosts that cry, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. God, you have the final word, the final word in my life, in God, your word. It's settled, it's settled forever. You are infinite, you're the ultimate. We trust you, we trust you. You are infinite, you're the ultimate. We trust you, we trust you, God you have the final word, the final word in my life, and God your word is said.
you're the ultimate and oh God we trust you we trust you you are infinite you're the ultimate and oh Lord we trust you 